You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 153, Homeless Youth, Risk and Resilience. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, we have talked on the show before about homeless youth and homelessness in general, and it is not the topic that I think most people would first think about when they think about human trafficking. And yet, as we've talked about on the show before, there are so many connections to things that a lot of times we don't think about traditionally under the human trafficking umbrella, but all these things fit together, don't they? Absolutely. It's all connected. And I was recently speaking to a group that I wanted them, they're newcomers to this issue, and I didn't want them to be so focused just on law enforcement and rescue, which is everybody's eyes light up. Oh, I want to go be this. I want to go be that. And so I, I went back to the image of the Pithati, that giant jug with handles all over it. And there are so many points where people can be part of ending human trafficking that don't require you to go back to school, don't require you to become a law enforcement person or criminal justice person, or even a social worker or child welfare person. But there are places in our own community that we can be part of the solution to end human trafficking. And this is especially true when we're talking about commercial sexual exploitation of children and young adults. So I think maybe it makes sense to back up here for just a minute before we get into some of the statistics you're going to share with us, because this was a lesson for me when we first talked about it, of the link between human trafficking and how we think about things like homelessness and so many other things as we've talked about on the show. Where where do the two relate, and and how does that show up in a conversation about trafficking? Well, I think that the study that was released in 2014 from Covenant House, which has done phenomenal work with youth homelessness, really was the first small pilot study that showed that when young people are homeless, they are much more vulnerable to being recruited because they don't have options. And we've talked about risk management skills and when you're in that developmental stage where your brain isn't completely mature, uh, then how you manage risk isn't very well developed. So in that study, they first introduced the idea and they had some stats to, to begin to back this up that entry into commercial sexual exploitation often lined up with when this young person was approaching aging out of the system and they would no longer have a housing option. And there have been various attempts to to improve circumstances, but the, the vast majority of kids leaving our welfare system don't have a plan. And the the resources to create a plan I mean, and if you can imagine anybody listening that has kids, 
that are 18 years old, can you imagine saying, well, your birthday was yesterday, so where are you going? Where are you going? Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't think like that. We start planning for them to go to college. And when they go off to college, they come home and do their laundry at my house, right? <laughs> but that isn't the circumstances for these kids. And so two big studies uh, were undertaken, one by Loyola and one by Penn State. And those were in partnership again with um, Covenant House. And those reports came out and they are they're like putting a lot of the ideas and notions that we had and the, the concerns in cement now. So I, I want to talk about what we learned from those. There's so much of the economics that drives human trafficking. We've talked about this before, Sandy, that we, we have to look at the economic issues because so much of this is driven as a business. And so this is a key part of this is thinking about who are the people who are at risk because they're in economically disadvantaged situations. And of course, homelessness is a huge one. And when, it, when you talk about economic terms, even the language that we use to describe this kind of, of human trafficking, sex trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation, exploitation is a business term. Mm -hmm. It's a and, finance term. And commercial. Right. And, right exactly. Yeah. And so we, we have to move our thinking into that line instead of thinking, well, if we, if we just help them think about this differently, but it's about the money, it's about the finances, and how do you support yourself? And in fact, the Field Center for Children's Policy Practice and Research, that's out of Penn State, their study covered three cities, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Washington, D.C., and they interviewed 1,000 youth, 1,000. And of those interviewed, 17% met the legal definition of being victims of sex trafficking. But another 14% engaged in survival sex just to meet their basic needs because they didn't have a means of supporting themselves. And is survival sex just defined as... Um Entering into activity in order just to just trading, pay for trading um, sex for uh, food and or housing, lodging, oh, and the, the great fear of sleeping alone on the street, uh, of being raped or beaten up or or, or any number of uh, possibilities, make the young person much more vulnerable to being offered the opportunity to trade sex for a place to sleep that's indoors. Mm. And that's um, a very common experience. And in their study, they found that 67% of homeless females reported being solicited for paid sex, 67%. So they're homeless and they haven't actually made a decision. They haven't been recruited and yet they're already being solicited. The idea that you're out on the street, you don't have anything somehow that makes it okay to to offer to pay you for sex. Well, that's a clear answer to the question I asked earlier is was there was the connection between human trafficking and homelessness, right? Exactly. I mean, now, we, now the study shows it really clearly with the numbers of that connection is incredibly apparent. And, and we've talked before about the role of a child's past history of maltreatment, of child abuse and child sexual abuse. 
and 95% of the field center report of um, interviewees showed that they did have a history of child maltreatment, but the they also uncovered one more detail. Of the 62, uh, of that 95, 62 told someone that they were abused, okay? And that's what we want kids to do. Mm-hmm. Only 49% report that the person they told took some action. Mm. So the idea that you tell a trusted adult what's happened to you and they don't do anything. Can you imagine how that impacts your ability to trust and create meaningful um, attachment relationships? And now then they age out of the system and they don't have a place to go and now they're homeless. When, when they did these interviews because that aspect of abuse was part of their story. I responded to that thinking, well, when I talked to kids who ran away um, and I asked them, what were you thinking when you left? And they often say things like this. I just wanted to get out. I wanted to get away from the screaming, the yelling, the hitting away from the abuse, and I can take care of myself now. Mm. And that's something that happens around 15, 16 years old. I can take care of myself. And we have legal remedies in in family court where a child in the foster program can emancipate at age 15. And in fact, we've had our guest, um, Rhonda Shortino, who did that. And so, so this idea that I can do this and yet, not every not every kid turns into Rhonda Shortino. Not everybody has the ability to go out and live on their own. So then what happens to them? And they become very at risk. Yeah, and well, to the economic point we were talking about earlier, then when things don't come together and the desperate uh, feelings come of needing to eat and to have money to live, then all of a sudden... Uh, other options emerge and the solicitation that may have been ignored before all of a sudden becomes, becomes the thing that's the entry point. And when um, Loyola joined this research project and they also interviewed youth in partnership with Covenant House and they extended their interviews to other cities in Alaska, Georgia, Michigan, Florida, um, here in California, Louisiana, Missouri, Ontario, and even up into Vancouver, British Columbia. And I say those because I want people listening to realize just how broad this was and how relevant um, this particular study is. So one of the issues that they uncovered is that labor trafficking is also an issue for homeless youth. And that was kind of a shock for me. I, I had heard some things about that, but so much of the focus, as in all ending human trafficking conversations, has been on sex trafficking, even though, and we've done several podcasts on labor trafficking, but we haven't really talked about it when it results in youth being labor trafficked. So we're going to work on that, and we'll find someone to come um, on the show to give us more in-depth on that. But at, in this study, what we learned is 8% of all of the respondents 
were found to have been trafficked for labor. And I'm like, so what kind of labor? So I'm reading a little deeper. And some worked in factories, some were in domestic labor situations, agriculture, international drug smuggling, and commission-based sales. The commission-based sales we've seen with magazine sales, door-to-door, that sort of thing, and interviewing a young person who was aging out of the system and took a summer job traveling to sell magazines, and they would pay her at the end. After three months, she got nothing. Hmm labor exploitation. But here was the big piece. And this so connects to so many other issues that we'll have to talk about. The vast majority of labor trafficking cases, 81% reported in this study were instances of forced drug dealing. So they were forced to work in the drug trade. So then what happens if they if they get busted in in a drug raid they go to prison even though because now most of them are over they're in that 18 to 24 range um even though they actually were coerced or forced into performing that service mm-hmm. so what do we do with those kids what do we do with those kids and the idea that that this kind of forced drug dealing was part of the homeless experience because lots of times those kids were trying to get away from situations that would have put them in that. And that became a a pretty common theme in there. So thinking about labor trafficking and homelessness is a new direction for us to go. I know one of the things that caught your attention here in the studies were the recommendations that were made that uh, came out of this. Um, What caught your eye that is worth us really uh, spending some time to look at and consider? Well, I think I loved the way that they, especially in the Loyola report, they broke down the recommendations into four areas. And their first is my favorite, you always know that, prevention. Mm -hmm. And prevention is, for this group, is going to look like a focus on job search, job skill programs, housing opportunities. How can you get a job if you don't have an address? How can you get a job? There's a great organization here that has launched a program called Launchpad, um, Teen Leadership. It's a terrific model because if you're going to help young people this age get a job, they need to have an address and they need to learn how to sustain um, living and how to manage a budget, pay utilities, pay for garbage and water, all those kinds of things have to become part of that training. And it seems like, well, that's ending human trafficking prevention. And that's why I wanted to start with reminding us of that great big jug with the handles on it, because mentoring a young person in life skills can be a huge piece of prevention. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. The second recommendation was that we have more outreach programs that advertise services that target the locations where youth are being approached. And that would be things um, on social media, online job sites, at bus stops, transportation, and even government assistance offices. And so when I thought about what would that look like, I began to think of so many nonprofits 
who, frankly, Dave, we know a lot of nonprofits sprang up overnight with the idea, we're going we're gonna to stop the traffickers, we're going to rescue people. And then they found out that's really hard, and they're still trying to work through. What if they redirected to more local outreach that was intervention-focused like this, and they did outreach that would be focused on helping young people have a more stable life and all of those things that are in the prevention column as well. So they don't get into human trafficking in the first place. Exactly. The problem with that is we kind of want the more sensational stories and you don't have a lot of stories if people don't become victims. So how do we also begin to change our definition of success when we're talking about anti-human trafficking work? There is a element of being a human being that tends to get attracted to the sensational, um, regardless of what side of the issue you're looking at. I think about uh, some of the recent hurricanes that have happened uh, mm. here in the States and how much attention is paid to this these disasters. And um, I'm wondering, Sandy, for individuals and organizations that you see that have been able to make that shift, to move away from, not that we don't need to help victims, of course, but but to really shift the, sh- the, the organization, their work toward more of a prevention model. For those that have done that successfully, what have you seen that's worked? Well, you know, the interview that we did last week with Didi Pujols, her focus is on job skills and job trainings um, in every program that they're working with internationally and locally. And when I visited their culinary arts school, I absolutely wished I had time to become a chef. I wanted to be a chef. And then I went to the graduation and I saw young men and young women who have a career path now and we'll never hear any more about their story because they are on a solid pathway to independence. That's a great model. That's so, a great model. And, and their work, uh, it sounds like defining that as success from the beginning. Exactly. Uh, so, so, exactly. So part of this is just the leadership and the strategy of how do we how do we define success of what an organization looks like that's helping prevent human trafficking. And one way, of course, is serving victims. And there will always be that, sadly, there will, at least for the foreseeable future, mm. be the need for that. But there are many other ways to define success. And in fact, probably we should be having more organizations that are working on defining successes, those preventative type things. Well, I can see the excitement in your eyes, Dave Stahoviak, coaching for leaders guru. So I expect to see redefining success in the nonprofit world on a coaching for leaders podcast. That's Very a good soon. idea. That's Very a good soon. idea. We should do that. Yeah. And we've done a show. We did a show on a partnership a while back with Kirsten Foote, uh, oh, you know, yeah. who was on our, uh, was on this show as well. Oh, that's right. We'll have to um, link to that. Podcast. We will. We will, because that's such an, it's such a, such an important concept of that, that, that the partnership that we've talked about so many times on this show. But like you just said, we still have victims. Yes. We still have survivors. We still have um, kids who have not been identified. And sometimes we're looking in the wrong place. There's um, often I hear the idea that 12, 13 year olds are the most vulnerable. That's the age of entry. But this study very clearly, and it's a solid study, shows that between 16 and 18 are the more predominant age, median age of entry. There are those cases that are really young, but uh, focusing 
a lot of more attention on the 16 to 18 year olds is super important because of course they're aging out and they're going to lose the the housing placement possibly and they don't always but in in one foster situation and I talked to a young woman who was 18 and so I asked her a question and she just stopped about her future and she said well I don't know I was planning to go to such and such community college but I just found out that my foster family is going to be taking in a younger child. And it's about the finances from everybody's perspective. And so I need to, I need to find a new place. This study aside, Sandy, mm-hmm. I am curious about that 12 to 13 perception that a lot of um, people and young women in particular would, would come into trafficking at that time. Is that is there numbers behind that or is that more of a, like we were talking about earlier, more of the sensational story where that's more of the exception than the rule where we, we, we do see older uh, older children who are more likely to go into trafficking? Yeah, and, and I think, uh, especially when we're looking at U.S. statistics, and you can go back and listen to the podcast on statistics, we'll find that and put the number in the show notes. There is a sense that those stories do create more and generate more compassion. Mm-hmm. And so they do rise to the top. But the the research shows that we have to be looking at these other kids as well. Do we know in other parts of the world? Are, are there differences in ages or is I there think, not enough data to... I think globally, it, there isn't enough um, solid evidence, but in some cultures, it's much younger mm-hmm. than in, in other cultures. So... The the other thing too to remember is that these kids are um, not very trusting of adults. So one of the other, uh, the third item in the recommendations from the Loyola report is that we should have confidential and inclusive identification strategies in all youth serving organizations. So you ask, well, what does that mean? That means every youth serving organization should have as part of their intake assessment a very confidential aspect where they can create the climate the space for a young person to self-identify to disclose what's happened and particularly in both of these studies our lgbtqt youth do not find themselves in a place where it's safe to tell what's happened to them and they are at a much higher risk Um, much more vulnerable to being exploited. And then the fourth fourth recommendation is specialized interventions. And this is is an area where a nonprofit that's trying to kind of um, re-engineer themselves might really look at this because there's a lot of room for innovation. The idea in this recommendation is that it might include anti-trafficking orientation and drop-in programs. How do you implement trauma-informed counseling in volunteer systems and harm reduction training and creating victim relocation networks? One of the strategies for helping youth um, escape the life has been to find and integrate them in a new network because if you release them and they're back in exactly the same context what is going to keep them from being lured back into whatever was going on in that right program Hmm. 
So, so these recommendations are super helpful and we'll have links to both of these reports, but I want to go back to the Penn study report just for a moment because they focused on resilience. They asked the question, what can make a difference? And we've talked about this before, but now we have it with data. So I love it. The most frequent response from the kids, from the young people, was having a supportive parent or family member. Having one person, 58% of those in this study that were sexually trafficked did not have even one caring adult in their lives. This is where our work on human trafficking goes way beyond just some of the topics we see in the news story, Sandy, and the things we've talked about in the show, but it comes down to great parenting. And, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, not even great parenting sometimes, but good parenting or average parenting uh, goes a long way. Consistent parenting. Consistent let's, parenting. Let's yeah, use that's that. a better term. Thank yeah. you. As I was saying, I was like, that's not the right term for this. Um, but just that consistent presence in a child's life. And um, boy, that, that uh, addresses so many. I mean, we, uh, we've uh, often seen the research on just the power of like preschool, for example, in the trajectory of a child's life. And that's the second resilience factor. Oh, is Education. It really? oh, Education. You yeah. started with preschool, but here's what they showed. S- only 22% of the youth who had been sex trafficked had a high school diploma. Mm. So do the math, 78%, they didn't even have a high school diploma. What if your nonprofit decided making sure kids finish high school, making sure that survivors got their GED, what if that was the only thing you did? That could be the difference between a, a prevention or a rescued life and the alternative. Not to mention all the other amazing things that come with uh, getting a high school uh, diploma and going on to uh, further one's education. Uh, so many aspects of life. Absolutely. And society. And I'm, I'm so excited because I think we hosted a, a survivor at Vanguard on a, a tour. And it looks like we're going to have another student at Vanguard University. And I believe education is a way to uh, a pathway to a great future. Sandy, so much here in these reports, um, as always, uh, you know, of course, we've just scratched the surface. As always, we'll put links to it in the show notes, as well as a number of other things we mentioned along the way here. And we have done previous shows on on uh, homelessness as well. So episodes 15 and 41 are also uh, very helpful for us to uh, to to have that path forward on. There's one other thing, Sandy, that I know that's important for us to talk about. It's next year's conference. That's right. In March 2018, it is the annual Insure Justice Conference. Uh, how many years are we going now? This is, that'll be 11. Wow. 11 years. Wow. 11 years. It's incredible. This year, I'm, I'm seeing for the very first time the new logo in front of me. Uh, tell us about what uh, this year's conference is going to be focused on. Our, our word is challenge, and we're not afraid of a challenge. But our theme is substance abuse and human trafficking. And just what we've talked about here and finding out that um, these young people are trafficked 
into selling drugs. That wasn't even in my mind when I decided this is the direction we're going to go. So there is something here for anybody working in anti-trafficking efforts. Please plan now to join us March 2nd and 3rd, 2018 at Vanguard University. And that's in Costa Mesa, California. It's a great time of the year to visit as well. The weather's normally really good. You do not need a snow shovel, Dave. No, you do not. And uh, you can uh, get uh, information and register now. Early bird registration is available. Go to insurejustice.com in order to do that. And of course, uh, you may remember hearing from us on a previous episode that we have made a major update to our website to support all of the content we've had on the show over the last six years. Uh, That's at endinghumantrafficking.org. It's a great resource for so many of the things we've talked about uh, on the show over the last six years, all the links, the research, uh, what Sandy's up to. So thanks in advance if you visit there and you can sign up to receive updates from us. Hey, if you haven't before taken a moment to leave a rating or review for the show if you've been listening for a bit, especially if you're an iTunes user, uh, please do so. Also, if you know someone in your personal network, your community, who would benefit from learning more about the strategies, the discoveries, the research we talk about in the show, uh, take a moment, please, to suggest that they listen and subscribe to the show. It helps us to continue to build our community of people who are all working together to end human trafficking. Thanks, Sandy, and see you in two weeks. Thanks, Dave.